Ad Speaks Houston, the Addy Award-winning podcast, giving you the inside scoop on Houston advertising and marketing. That's what we do. Created and produced by Radio Lounge for the American Advertising Federation Houston chapter at aaf-houston.net. And if you are listening to this podcast prior to Wednesday, September 21st, we want to invite you to the ballroom at Tanglewood, another AAF Houston luncheon that we've got set for you. It's called Mediocrity Ends Here with Eddie Hurdy and Jared Glick of Outfront Studios. It's 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m., so you join us for lunch at a great venue, the Ballroom at Tanglewood. Note the date, would you please? And then go to the aaf-houston.net website and you can register. Once again, that is Wednesday, September 21st, 11.30 to 1, the Ballroom at Tanglewood. Mediocrity ends here. Why 100% of boring ads don't matter with Eddie Hurdy and Jared Glick of Outfront Studios. Hope you can join us. Not that long ago, we had the opportunity to uh, hook up with uh, Chris Smith, the chief creative officer of Plot Twist. And, you know, it, it really is kind of a neat thing to have Chris not here in Houston once, but twice. Because between the first time he was here and the second time he was here, uh, the story changed a little bit. And thus the name Plot Twist Creativity. Uh, a native of upstate New York, Chris started out at Penn State as a journalism major when he learned journalists were discouraged from making stuff up. I didn't know that. Advertising seemed <laughs> like a better fit. They, they make it up? Oh, my God. Yeah, ideally. Ideally, although things may have changed there, too. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, you're, <laughs> you're a food service specialist. That's a fancy thing, and, and I never went to the Olive Garden you were at, So, uh, I, but I'm a good tipper. You would have remembered me as well. <laughs> he f- followed his college marching band sweetheart, Heather, to Dallas, where he landed his first copywriting gig at MBRK Advertising, the MBRK team, and the rest is history. Well, not so much. You know, it, it's funny, Chris. I, I love what you do. I love I love the way you approach uh, our industry. I love the uh, uh, j- just your attitude about not only advertising but about life, and I, I think it's something that our industry really needed. Uh, you approach it with a uh, a smile, I guess that would be. Uh, you have won lots of shiny paperweights from the One Show to Clio's to London International Awards, Effie's, Addie's, a Cannes shortlist or two, and even an Emmy. But here's the thing that you may not know about Chris, and we'll give you time to talk very soon, I'm sure, Chris. You finished. <laughs> you finished. Standing by. I'm this standing is, by. This is, yeah, this is, this is Ray's version of who Chris Smith is. Finished 327th out of 720 competitors at the 2019 National Crossword Puzzle Tournament. My God, is the father, brother, uncle, and cousin twice over of twins. That's amazing. And I think this is the cool part. A two-time Jeopardy champion and has uh, the DVD to prove it. Or would that be a VHS tape for you, Chris? I'm not sure. Honestly, no. Recently at Upward is actually a DVD, although I have not digitized it yet, which I need to. So <laughs> what, what was it? Let's, let's, let's spend a moment on Jeopardy. Was that, a, was that scary or was it cool or was it all of the above for you, man? Yes, it was all of the above. And thank you for asking about it. I, I, I'm reticent to talk about it. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's the coolest thing that ever happened to me. So, uh, and people seem to, no matter what I talk about, people always kind of want to tell us about being on Jeopardy. So uh, it was great. It, w- it was absolutely terrifying and something I'd wanted to do since I was very, very small. My yeah. family, both my parents are educators. Uh, knowing stuff, just knowing stuff for its own sake was at a premium. And we watched Jeopardy the way other families uh, watch sports. And uh, it was just kind of in my blood, and it was a lifelong dream that um, I didn't have to wait my whole life to, uh, to fulfill. So uh, I'm just, I, I still kind of can't yeah. believe it really happened. It's all kind of a blur, but Your family yeah, it was terrifying is, and exhilarating at the same time. There you go. Your family is a, a, a colony of uh, high achievers, uh, it sounds like here. You, uh, you guys do things. And Paula Poundstone, I love Paula Poundstone. She's on uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me a Lot. As well, and it once was was told he's funny by Paula, and that is where the foundational stuff, the heck with the college stuff, that that just push that aside, baby, because Paula Poundstone says you're funny, you're going into advertising and you're doing stories. 
<laughs> yeah. Bye. Well, I met her. I'll tell you that real quick. I met her because of working with Tom Baudet uh, for so many years on Motel 6. He's yes. on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And he uh, he was in, they were taping in Dallas. So afterwards, I drove him back to his hotel and he said, hey, you want to come in and meet the gang? And I got to hang out uh, in the hotel bar with the cast of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. You know, the, Tom and, and everybody else and, uh, you know, Peter Sagal and all those people. And then Paula Poundstone was on the panel that day and we were just chatting. And, I, you know, I was just kind of chatting with her, but I made a couple of jokes and she's like, you're funny. And I was oh. like, okay, I'm leaving. And I walked, I got up and left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things. It was, I'm never going to wash my hands again because that was a good yeah, moment I'm, for me. Exactly right. It, yeah. it, this is the peak. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I wish, I love PBS. I really do. I'm a big fan. And uh, the shows like that are so cool. But I also miss, I miss Car Talk. I miss Car Talk so much. Those guys, one of the guys is gone. The, the show is over. I'm sure. Yep. I, I, but there's the thing. You can't, I don't know that you can replace a show like Car Talk. I mean, it, it's, it was there. It had its time and a long time. Uh, I, yeah. wish that, I wish that there was some place, uh, Sirius XM or, or some place that you can actually go and listen to the old shows because they were really that good. Uh, I enjoyed yeah, those wonderful. guys as well. Absolutely wonderful. You know, you you've you, you've got plot p- twist underway, and you're doing incredible things already. And it really is more about uh, the people uh, when it comes to client relationships. That was one of my uh, my uh, questions for you as well. But I'm going to start off with there's a um, you're calling radio advertising the modern campfire, and I think I know where you're going with that. Would you please explain what you mean by radio? is the modern campfire. Well, you know, that sounds way deep when you say it like that. Okay. (laughs) To me, I call it that because basically you have the exact same tools to tell a story on radio as you did to tell a story around the campfire Mm -hmm. thousands of years ago. You have your voice, you have sound effects, and you have music. And that's all you got. So uh, the, the essential tools... You know, have not really changed, but the technology with which we deliver them obviously has. But you're telling a story. And if you've got 60 seconds, which I know is rare sometimes now in radio, but, Mm -hmm. you know, but now as more and more brands are leaning into podcasts and long form, Mm -hmm. um, the pendulum seems to have swung the other way. And you actually have longer to tell longer stories. Uh, But again, still with, you know, sounds sound effects, music, and your voice. Now there's video components and there's all these kind of things, but um, to me it's the same thing. And if it doesn't work as a story, it doesn't work as an ad. Yeah. No, it makes it makes total sense. And if it's, if it's not a story, it's not an ad in, in around uh, sense. Exactly right. You know, you so run... I, go ahead. Go ahead. One, well, one of, the things I, one of the things I always say is, you know, don't... When we sit down here at the agency, it's, you know, and it's one of the reasons we call ourselves plot twist is that we are, we are telling a brand story with every ad. And and every every new ad is sort of a chapter in the story. So when you sit down to write, I, you know, don't sit down to write an ad. Sit down to tell a story. Okay. And to me, that sort of that sort of changes the mindset just enough to to at least kick you off uh, to start having ideas. Yeah. Um, so you, hopefully it works. You uh, you know <laughs> it it reminds me a little bit of uh, Dick Orkin and his glorious days in uh, advertising. Uh, every every Absolutely. commercial was truly an episode, and you listened to it. You listened to it. You didn't wait to get to the end of the commercial. You were engaged enough and drawn into it. So uh, I, I feel as if you've uh, kind of taken some of that great stuff along. Uh, above and beyond uh, what uh, Dick Orkin has done in our industry, and he did every great radio stuff. guy, every radio guy, and I consider myself a radio guy owns yeah. owes a huge debt to Dick Orkin. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he, he's on, he's on the Mount Rushmore, and you know, you just he's one of the giants on whose shoulders we're all standing. So. Yeah. You know, that brings up a good point. We don't have a Mount Rushmore for uh, radio advertising grades, but maybe we should somewhere. I don't know. Maybe Sedona. Uh, that would be a good place, I think. Okay. Yeah, some just somewhere with a good bar. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> I'll, I'll go to the opening. <laughs> we 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 have a Texas Radio Hall of Fame, and it's in the glorious metropolis of Kilgore, Texas. Sure. And uh, yeah, uh, they uh, it's Texas. 
it's it's pretty cool actually. There's a yeah. there's a radio uh, and uh, broadcast museum there as well. It's in an old Chevrolet dealership, and the Texas right. Radio Hall of Fame actually has an event coming up uh, later this year uh, at that Kilgore location. And yes, there is a bar close by. It's a good thing. Yeah, Done. you run plot twist a little bit differently. I think I my assumption. What are Chris's rules for keeping a creative team creative? How do you keep people engaged, especially now with COVID at our you know back door? Well, uh, that's a great question. We sort of a lot of us are are veterans of another agency that that had a lot of rules, and and our first thought when we started this agency, myself and my partner Dave Cronkey, uh, who he and I worked together for 22 years um, at our previous agency. He was there 10 years, even longer than that. But our, our paths only crossed occasionally, but but we had similar experiences. So when we started this agency together, we and, you know, the team that I had been working with for many, many years, we all kind of had the same desire was that just, just kind of let us do our work. Just, you know, just kind of leave us alone and, and let us do work and, and we'll do great work for you and for the agency and for ourselves. And I, so we sort of came in and we have sort of one rule here, which is act like an adult and we'll treat you like an adult. Mm -hmm. So get your work done. You know, if we need you somewhere, be there. Uh, And whatever you, and everything else is up to you. So when you work, great. If if you create best at 4.30 in the morning, do that. If you create best at 10 o'clock at night, do that. Just, have your work ready in time for the meeting, and guess what? We'll, everything will be fine. Yeah. Uh, and so far, it's been it's been working really, really well. And yeah. you know, we've had a couple of occasional creative setbacks, and we keep it. You know, you want to gripe a little bit about, oh, you know, I can't believe we have to go back to the well or whatever. But then we've all tried to keep it positive. As no, this is an opportunity to do something better, mm-hmm. and that's hard to say, but. You know, I'm going to gripe for an hour, and then I'm going to, you know, put my put my grown up pants back on and and, and dive back in. Uh, so, so far, that that seems to be working. And and also, you know, we just want to keep it light. This is supposed to be this is supposed to be fun. This is a great job. Let's be digging ditches, as we always say. Yeah. And you know, there, yeah, it's, it's important to our clients, but it should be fun. And if you're not having fun, you know, <laughs> why are we then, doing this you know, then? Well, yeah. what are we doing? You yeah. know, and. And uh, that, for the clients too, though it should be fun for the client. That's that's kind of you know if I if in a meeting I'm just like guys you know this shouldn't be this hard but this is no. this should be fun. What, what could we do that's the most fun? Uh, so you know we're trying, we're trying. And your paradigm, which is really interesting now, because you know it was it was on the news as we're recording this uh, this morning on NBC. They were talking about getting people back to the office. What are we going to do? How are we going to get people back? But what you've, I feel like what you've done is you've kind of solved that issue. And I, what you said before was very interesting, that you allow people, you know, people got to have an opportunity to bellyache a little bit and say, I'm mad about this. I don't like this. Um, well, and, of course. And then get back to We're work. We're human beings. <laughs> We're human beings. We, we are. are. How about that? You yeah, you talked about a, a very interesting process of doing uh, when you were at the uh, the event for the American Ad Federation a process of doing a creative brief starting with a pad and a pencil and uh, uh, it, that seems to be a rather simplistic and a very valid way to start a creative process. What do you do when you sit down when you've got uh, an opportunity for uh, doing creative uh, for a client? Well, I, as I said uh, when when I talked to the to the group there that. You know, I stole this from from Luke Sullivan and his uh, his great book, Hey Whipple, Squeeze This. I love that guy. Y- yeah, and he's he'd be on that he'd be on that Mount Rushmore for me at least, uh, as far as ad writers go. And and um, he had a technique where he sits down with a pad and paper and or and just starts writing. This is an ad about, uh, or you could say this is a story about. Mm-hmm. And you just start writing. And I do that all the time. Um, like I said, now I use this sort of thing called a remarkable, which is kind of a iPad type thing to just, that's basically just a notepad and, um, but you can email it to yourself and all that. But I just start writing, this is an ad about and just keep going. And, and eventually about two thirds of the way down, you kind of run out of everything that's on the brief and you have to start being creative. That's where you have to start 
making stuff up in order to keep writing. Um, and I just keep writing. And sometimes a, a cool idea comes out in the next couple of sentences, and sometimes it's four pages later. But it has never not worked yeah. to at least give me an idea, a starting place, at least one idea I can, I can put down and say, okay, that's, that's different. It hasn't worked every time, and they're not always great. But, but it, I mean, in terms of hasn't worked every time where what I wrote down went on to be an ad, but it always starts the process. Uh, so I've stolen that, and I use it all the time. I, let's talk more about Luke Sullivan. We know uh, we did the uh, the advertising show for so many years. Uh, Brad Forsyth and I did uh, here out of Houston, and uh, Luke was a good friend of the advertising show. We actually uh, went. My business partner here at Radio Lounge. We uh, drove up to Austin uh, to uh, uh, go to an event that he was holding at UT, and he was so. Here's this guy who is so successful, so successful at what he does, and he was so honored that Bruce and I showed up as, at his event. And we we did take home a roll of toilet paper, which is a wonderful thing, as well. But. <laughs> well, you know, I can tell you, like so many of us, I wouldn't be surprised if if Luke suffers from imposter syndrome. Oh, and you know, we all have it. It's what all creative people have it to a certain extent, and sure. it's it's what drives us. That we're today's the day I'm found out. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, today today's the day I'm I'm exposed as a fraud, <laughs> and th- that is. That it's called imposter syndrome, and uh, if you if you think about it, we all have it, and it's our it's our greatest fear. Yeah. Uh, you know, what if I what if I really don't know what I'm doing? Yeah. Um, and and if I may, a quick story. I when I finally made peace with this was I was seeing a, a presentation by um, uh, Neil Gaiman or Gaiman. I've, I've heard it pronounced both ways, but I've mm-hmm. always said Gaiman. The brilliant comic book and and science fiction fantasy writer who's written everything in the world. And he was at some thought leaders convention and he realized he was standing next to, uh, um, uh, Neil Armstrong. And Mm. he said, Oh my God, Mr. Armstrong, I'm I'm a huge fan. I admire you so much, blah, blah, blah. And it's so nice to meet you. And Neil Armstrong said, I don't know what I'm doing here. These are all thinkers and thought leaders and idea people and inventors. And I just, I just flew a little ship on the moon. And, and, Neil, and Neil Gaiman said, okay, if Neil Armstrong gets imposter syndrome, yeah. then it's okay that I get imposter syndrome. Okay. No, so, I like that. Yeah. Did they really yeah, know what they were doing? No, they were figuring it out as they went. And they kept their exactly fingers right. and toes crossed as well, too, which is kind of like advertising, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, or kind of like running an ad agency when you've never done it before. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. I'll make yeah, some ads for you. Everything's crossed. Fingers, toes, ears, everything's crossed. <laughs> <laughs> you, you come from upstate New York, and we talked about that. I was in upstate New York back in the, uh, the early 70s as well. And I, I did the, the broadcast thing for 50 years, and I guess I'm still doing it. But uh, uh, And we've, we've had a radio launch for the past 30-plus years as well. But, but radio, is, radio is where I come from. That's why it's called sure. Radio Lounge. Get it? Okay, good. See, I see what you did there. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It, uh, <laughs> th- those great ideas come very quickly. It's a good thing. But you, now Dallas-Fort Worth is your home. Dallas has always had a creative edge on many other cities in the United States. You know, Houston, for a while, uh, saw the abundance of being, uh, you know, at the top of the list or close to the top in the top 10 uh, for creative. Uh, over time, that uh, kind of changed a little bit. We've lost some uh, some great agencies here. But Dallas-Fort Worth keeps on trucking with some really, really great creative. What is it about this place up there in the midst of uh, middle of Texas? Why, why Dallas-Fort Worth for you as well? You, you know, I I don't know that answer, like why it would be Dallas versus any other mm-hmm. city of comparable size or Houston, which is even bigger or uh, whatever. I just, I, and I, I honestly think, you know, my previous agency, the Richards Group, set the tone for a lot of that. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, they were, they were a creative heavyweight and still are, and, and, you know, just doing some of the best work in the, in the country and, and going toe to toe with anybody. And I think that drew a lot of people here. And a lot of the agencies, uh, in, in the state are led by people who kind of went through there. Um, and now we're, we're one of them, but I think, I think Dallas is one of those places where it's, it's very creative. It's kind of it, it's it's sort of right on the edge of the east and the west, and it just 
it's an easy place to live. And I, and I just think it doesn't feel like a super stressful city. I mean, it's stressful as any city is, but it, I don't know. It just kind of feels like, yeah. like a positive place. It just, yeah. it, it, it feels positive. It's clearly still growing. Yeah. It's got sort of that, you know, that big shiny buckle on the Bible belt kind of, uh, <laughs> optimism, true. I guess. That's true. That's and, yeah. and I don't know. I just, I, I moved here and, you know, I've, I don't fit in with everything here, but it's an easy place to live. It's a great place to raise a family. And there's a great agency community that feels big enough. Like there's, there's opportunity, but small enough where everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's got a kind of a special vibe and I, I like it. You know, we're kind of growing some of that uh, stuff back here. It's, uh, you know, after the loss of so many great agencies, uh, you know, when you look back at, uh, Houston, uh, over the past, uh, a few years, we've got Long Grand and M2. We've got the Hierarchy Advertising, the Lee Group, uh, and I'm Brand Extract and a, and a bunch of other great agencies who are kind of kind of rebuilding uh, what we saw in, I won't say the heyday of, of Houston advertising, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of great creative here as well, and this is a great city. Plus, we have, you know... We have the Houston Texans, which I'm sure you love as well. No, that's wrong. Never mind. Well, I've worked. I've worked with them, and and you know they uh, for HEB. We've done some ads with Houston Texans. And of course, they were they were great. They were they were always great. You know, some players were better than others on camera, but uh, and I won't name names. <laughs> but uh, you know, sometimes you you are like, wow, this this guy's really great, and I was like, wow, we should give that guy fewer lines. <laughs> You know, you're talking about HEB. Those those are great spots, and those those really mirror what you talk about in terms of, of telling a story or the modern campfire. Because you you do get something there. Uh, one of the things you said: um, uh, being surprising, not be, be surprising, be predictable, and that's kind of a polar opposite of it. But it, it the other on the other hand, it really isn't. It's tied together. And that's what HEB I think is, is a, is a great example of, of be surprising and be predictable. Those are fun little stories to watch uh, that we, that we watch on television uh, for HEB, yeah. which is a great, great well, place. Thank you. Uh, and, well, thank you. And what, what I meant by that, I know it sounds like I'm, like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I kind of am, but you create an expectation. And it's just every ad campaign is like a TV series or uh, a movie franchise. You have an expectation of what I'm going to see when I go, mm-hmm. but then you or when I tune in. But then you pay it off with a surprise every time. Yeah. So it was predictable. I knew, I knew what I signed up for, and that's why I'm here. But yeah. then, oh man, you really surprised me. I did not see that coming. And to me, that's our that's our whole job. And you know, when the client sometimes sends us, sends us back to the drawing board, it's because, you know, and they recently said you guys have been a victim of some of your own previous successes. You you set the bar here, now now surprise us again, uh, which is a great challenge. Yeah. So uh, that that's that's what I that's what I mean by that. I'm not, I'm not a crazy person, but uh, it is it is possible to be uh, predictable in a good in the right way and then be surprising. Uh, in, in the right way at the same time. Well, as I said before, I think it's very well connected. I think I think the two uh, are very complementary uh, to each other as well. As are cigars and scotch. Um, yes, the, the good life. <laughs> That's how you relax. Yeah. Uh, I indulge in one of those. In one of those? Oh, you don't do the cigars, yeah. do you? Just the scotch. No, those turn me green. Those turn me green. But the, the scotch, I'll just I'll just substitute the cigar for more scotch. Okay, right. Be, <laughs> right before throwing up, he turns green. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> True. So uh, our, our Mondays, uh, I, I love what I do. You know, the, the old saying goes, you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. I truly believe that. Uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, I don't care what day of the week it is, even a Saturday or Sunday. Uh, are Mondays inspiring for Chris Smith? You, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't, a lot of people dread them. I I don't, I certainly don't dread them. I, now as I, as I've been doing this a long time, uh, I appreciate the ability to, like, just to get stuff done. Like, I look at Monday as an opportunity of, okay, I got a million things on my plate. I'm going to get some of them off the plate. And I sort of look at, okay, I, I work on the weekends a lot. We all do, everybody here. But I try not to. But if I do, I'm like, okay, that was good. 
I, I took a couple days off. I rested my brain. And now I'm kind of, I like a fresh start. I like another chance to, okay, I got some new energy. Like I'm going to dive in again. Yeah. I like that. I, some people really dread Mondays or they get the Sunday scaries or whatever they call it. I, I really don't. I just kind of get, it's more of a gird thy loins kind of approach. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, all right, well, okay, here we go. Five more days. I'm going to do it. And yeah. luckily we've structured this year where, you know, okay, I really cranked on it today and I don't have any more meetings. Something can wait till tomorrow. I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to go do something for me yeah. for an hour. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, now maintaining that is, is hard, but the intention is there. That's your next book, uh, Managing <laughs> Managing Life. It's a good thing by Chris Smith. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I should read one first. <laughs> yeah, we, and right no, don't read one because then, you, then you know, do, do your own opinions. We don't need to hear anybody else's. It's good. Okay. Well, Let, uh, if you think, I, if you think I'm, uh, I'm managing my life well enough to write a book, bless you, sir. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> what, what I see, that, yeah, I'm thinking you're in the right direction. Let's visit the brains of your top creatives and folks at Plot Twist. What do they have in common, Chris? What do they have in common? Well, I will say, and I will, I will name check them. Uh, my top creatives: uh, I've got Bo McCord, Wendy May, uh, Kevin Reed. Uh, I just hired someone named uh, Gabby, who is fabulous, comes to us uh, by, by way of Mexico City. And then I've got Rachel Bauer, and I've got Sonia Amin, and we just hired someone new named Peyton Lambert, who's fresh out of school. And what we all have in common, some of them have been doing this for four weeks, some of them have been doing this for 30 years. Wow. And what we all have in common is uh, a work ethic. Everybody here really, really works hard. It, it's kind of amazing. Pound for pound, we churn out more good work, I think, than anybody our size. Uh, we did 56 TV commercials last year. Wow. <laughs> wow. And, wow. um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it's incredible. And everybody, it's all, it's, it's all a group effort. Now everybody has pride of ownership and there's an unspoken rule that that's your idea. Um, you know, you, you are kind of the driver on that idea, whether or not your titles is creative director or not, if that's your idea, that's your baby. And you are kind of, you are kind of the boss of that idea, but everybody here is, hey, um, you know what? It, it, the whole the whole joke is everything's an allscape, and uh, you know that idea works great. Hey, if you I donated, if you if you want to take it uh, and 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 give it life, and that comes to us from our previous agency as well. But we've really tried to make it um, everything. Everything's a group project, no matter who's kind of kind of driving it, uh, and if. If, if there's a jump ball and you know you quote unquote win, mm -hmm. um, then everybody then everybody you know they pick your idea. Then everybody's job becomes okay. How can I help you make that idea great? Um, and uh, and and I try to give updates at the end of every week. I send out a group text um, every Friday evening, um, and it's kind of the, the the close of my week. It's how I it's my signal to turn it off. Kind of is I send out a group text to the whole agency. Um, which is just an update on what everyone is doing, um, the stages of things, our wins, our, our, our losses, uh, successes, and, and you know some disappointments, and then how we can help each other. Uh, and it, it just kind of—I think it, it helps keep the, the team the team vibe going, and uh, that's very important to me. That's kind of my—it's wow. actually the most important to me. <laughs> there are some companies that need to adopt those rules. That's good. If somebody was knocking on your door, how would they get your attention? Somebody who's out there saying, oh, I want to work there. What would they do? What would they need to do? <laughs> they would bring scotch. <laughs> no, uh, they would. Oh, that too. Um, I forgot. Honestly, to, to me, you know, the, day, the days of, of sort of stunty, um, you know, uh, introduction pieces, that, that when I was trying to get into the business, that was a, that was a big thing. Yeah. Uh, you had to mail this elaborate piece that had all this creativity and and that's great um i respond really well to uh just confidence and and if you feel uh real i i and and then attitude of i'm here to i think i'm good at this but i'm here to learn and i like the work you do and i want to do that kind of work help me help me uh help me do it mm -hmm. uh i like that i yeah. you know i i do like things that that will 
that stand out and just catch my catch my attention. But I I don't necessarily respond to something that's got a ton of I'm like super cool attitude or mm. trying to be edgy like no. that. I that drives me crazy because most of the advertising all of us do isn't edgy. You know, it's got to be good, solid retail work, and you can have edges in the right places. But can you? I don't want to know what. I don't want to see what you can come up with for something edgy. I want to see something cool you can come up with for something mundane. Sure. You know, uh, uh, a peanut butter, uh, a, a kind of coffee, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, if you can, and if you're showing me work that is something really interesting and unique for the most mundane of products, um, I like that far better than something really niche yeah. uh, and, and edgy. Because that's, that's, like, that's more like real life. But honestly, I've, the last few people I've hired has been, okay, I like your work. But then when I talk to them, they surprise me with their, their maturity or, uh, or, you know, their, uh, just their, their kind of attitude about, hey, I'm just, I, I want to I do the kind of work you guys do. And that, that, I, that yeah. I really respond to that. I think that's, boy, what a great approach to that. For many years, you worked with uh, Motel 6, with Tom Baudet and, and, and such like that. Was he, did, did you learn anything from Tom, or did you teach him anything? How did that relationship go between the, uh, the, the two of you? I learned a ton uh, from Tom. A ton. And I'm still learning from Tom. Mostly I learned um, he talks slower than me, so write fewer words. <laughs> 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 like literally write like I literally I'd write a script I thought it was fun and then I would cut thirty percent of the words out. <laughs> and then and then he could he could get through. Uh but mostly from Tom I I just learned that it doesn't matter how anything sounds on the page. Mm. You have to be willing to make adjustments on the fly in the studio, on set, whatever. Because we would both read something. I, you know, he he sort of had final say on on all on all the uh, scripts. Yeah. And um, as part as part of his deal, and and it was never anything he kind of lorded over me, but mm. always as a courtesy, I would I would you know out of respect and just tell me what you think of these, and you know he would make suggestions and I would make suggestions, and and we go back and forth and we think we had it really shiny, and then we would get in the studio and a and a joke or something was just laying there. And he was the first guy to go, that doesn't work. I'm sorry, that joke I made you put in there, that, or that I suggested, it doesn't work. Let's go back to something else. Wow. Uh, so he had, he had a kind of humility uh, for, you know, who in advertising is a household name, uh, that I really, that really drew me to the whole campaign in, in which uh, I tried to, you know, tried, tried to carry forward. You never, there's always a better answer. There's always a different answer. And, um, you know, this isn't math. There's no right answer. There's just good, better answers and worse answers, and sometimes somebody has a better answer. So sure. go with it. Yeah. How, how, how can it be that something so simplistic could be such uh, a sticking mechanism in advertising that everybody and anybody in advertising, out of advertising, listeners, creatives, it all goes back to Motel 6. It all goes back to Tom Baudet. It, it, this is so simple. Wh- where is that success found? Well, I guess it's found maybe, maybe, I guess you'd say both in the execution and the creative, but there's something deeper there, man. What What is it about Motel 6 that is so good? Yeah, I I mean, look, it, it was it was lightning in a bottle, and the clients, at, you know, 35 years ago, 35 plus years ago, but the clients at the time were smart enough to recognize uh, what they had, that, mm-hmm. that it was lightning in a bottle, and then they just didn't tinker with it too much. They they updated it. Um, you know, they, they tried to keep it contemporary, but but essentially it it was always every spot was trying to get at a truth, um, a, a truth that everyone could relate to. And at its core, I think the campaign was honest. And in advertising. If you can get credit or have the reputation that your advertising is honest, that's absolutely gold. You cannot pay for that. And and where where they had the issues were that the advertising was so honest and so real that you know sometimes you get to you know not every every uh, location was the same. So you maybe you didn't always have a great experience, 
Um, so then it was like, okay, you're creating an expectation and didn't pull it off. But that was an operational thing, yeah. uh, which they're always working on and, and always improving. Their sure. advertising really was unchanged because their benefit didn't change. You get a great place to sleep for not a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and, and they didn't monkey with that. It would, they just, they just tried to keep doing that. And, and whenever they did, where there were times where they tried to change it or remove it, it, it just, it really didn't, it really didn't work. And, um, it became very obvious and they just had the guts, the guts to stick with it. And honestly, there's a new agency doing their work and I'm a big fan. I yeah. like, they tweaked it just a little bit mm-hmm. to kind of update it and, and change change the focus just a hair, yeah. and um, there's still great work coming out of it, and I'm, I couldn't be happier for them. Keywords there, just a little bit, for sure, for sure. And then that's true, and you know, my background is radio. Uh, you make changes in radio, unless you're changing a format or something and want to come in with a slam uh, message or something. You do things subtly, uh, without anybody really noticing it, and you tweak and tweak and tweak and make it good, 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 and, and perpetuate that good. I, we, had, uh, we had some guys come to us uh, a while back when, when the digital stuff was starting to come out. This is back in the, in the 90s, early 2000s. And when, when digital media first appeared on the horizon, many ad folks had a hard time adjusting their brains as to how to approach this new digital thing, NTR, digital, whatever you want to call it. And I believe sure. that for great creative, nothing has really changed, or at least the only thing that has changed is how you, you know, set the, the message out there, the distribution message. What, what's your take yeah. on the uh, digital shift here? You know, you know it's funny, uh, and we're, our clients obviously want, are doing more and more digital, which means we're doing more and more digital, and we, as a, as a group, sort of, we have a ton of uh, TV and radio experience, so, so we're learning right along, but uh, we're jumping in, and, and yeah, like the principles of storytelling have changed, but uh, or I have not changed. It's the delivery method, but those delivery methods are pretty radically different. So, mm-hmm. I what I'm having to wrap my head around is um, because I've got such a retail background. The digital world now is just a lot of it, it's. It's almost like if you put a, a message in there, like an actual benefit of a product or something, it it stands out as fake. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't look native, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't look real. So we're having to sort of adjust our feeling to just what it sends a positive impression about the brand or, or it gives you a positive feeling about the brand without actually saying anything about the brand, which is a shift for me. I'm a writer. I'm a words guy. Mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, and, and I've always been a, because I've done so much retail work, the brief is, you know, what do I have to say in the brief and what is the point we're trying to make? Not just what's this general feeling I'm trying to give for the brand. And digital kind of flips that on its head. And a lot of it is just, if I'm listening to a song and watching someone dance and the logo's up, that, that works in the ways that seem to matter to the people measuring it. Okay. <laughs> now, okay. does, it, does it work as a persuasive message? Hmm. You know, does it make me does it make me change my behavior to go shop there or buy that product or what have you? But does it make me think differently about mm-hmm. that brand? And that's enough. Yeah. Uh, for, for a lot of these efforts, what, what I try to guard against is, don't, is to know that your digital, your, your digital executions do some things well. Don't expect them to do the other things well. Okay. Uh, you know, they do something ter- that terribly. Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're great at getting attention. They're great at stopping you from scrolling. They're, they're great at certain things, but are they great at conveying, you know, information, actual information about your brand or some specific copy type thing? No, they're not. You should do that in other media. Sure. Um, so, so that's, you know, like I said, that's, there's a, there's a, there's a temptation to, well, if digital works. We should do everything in digital. And I just, mm. digital doesn't work for everything. I, that's yeah. my, uh, that's my opinion. The broadcast industry is loving to hear that message as well. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you know, know, I mean, there's a reason. There's a reason people still watch. Uh, sure. People still watch television. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're creative for for television and or radio. It seems many times uh, the, the the thing was less is more. 
mm-hmm. but sometimes more is better. And I'm talking, you know, we, we've made, made the dramatic switch that most of the stuff that we're uh, taking in now as uh, as advertiser people who are receiving the ads are getting 30s as opposed to 60s. But then again, there are sometimes when 60 seconds is just an essential, even, even Orkin said this, he says, there is no way that you can tell a story in 30 seconds. And um, I thought that was an interesting perspective from the grand storyteller himself. But uh, what's your, what's your take on that? Cause some of the HEB ads, aren't those 60s as well? I swear they uh, are. We had, well, we, for Super Bowls and things, you know, we 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 get uh, we do get to do sixty, um, you know, for the big efforts and for some, you know, when we're launching in a new market and stuff like that. Um, but that's really just for entertainment value, and um, you we're not necessarily telling a different story or a more complex story. We're just kind of hanging more ornaments on the tree, you know. Sure. Um, sure. To 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 just to just reward the audience uh, a little more, especially in a in a venue like the Super Bowl, where you know people are kind of keeping track of how many laughs they get, you know, and, and grading it, and 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 then you know uh, posting about it on Twitter or where have you about you know, oh my God, this is so funny and all that kind of stuff, sure. which is which is real currency, real currency to to brands who are who are who are spending that that kind of money. Uh, okay. So so. Uh, but I, I don't, I, I, at the risk of disagreeing with the great, uh, Dick Orkin, I, I do think you can tell, uh, a great story in just a few seconds. Uh, it just has to be a really simple story. Sure. <laughs> like the example I, I, the example I always use is, uh, you know, I, if I say, um, uh, die hard on a plane, you know, mm-hmm. I just told you the story of about six different Hollywood movies. Yes. Uh, so I used shorthand to do it. Um, there, there are there is a fabulous radio campaign for Quickrete uh, Concrete for, for the past running for the past several years, where there are these these little uh, you know ten second stories, and you know the whole campaign is long story short, and they tell these hilarious stories in just a few seconds. Uh, so it 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 can be done, but what can't be done is to pack a lot of copy points and, and product information in that time. Uh, that can't, that's hard to do well. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that's where, that's where you run into trouble and your ads end up sounding like a laundry list of someone on the wrong speed. There's a great ad out there now for Genesis, the Hyundai uh, Genesis, uh, with a, with a father and his daughter. And she asks, uh, how big is the ocean? Those are the only words. There was a few more words. uh, And then he takes her to the shore and they both look at the ocean together and, and it's selling the car. Uh, which right. I think, and it's, that's an incredible, incredible ad. And a lot of a lot of stories nowadays are not told with words; they're told with um, with visuals, with uh, with music, uh, and with mm-hmm. with those kinds of things. That's got to be a tough challenge, though, to be able to tell and really get the uh, get the story point across uh, to be able to do something like that. Have you ever uh, approached doing things like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, you know, our current one of our current clients is, is very much big on the idea that people are not paying attention and they're not listening to the words. The sound is off, uh, you know, however they're, they're viewing the ads. Uh, so we are, we are doing that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's always our first, um, you know, always kind of our first go around is how, what's the simplest possible way to do this? Do we even need a voiceover? Do we, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's very musically driven, but what if they're not listening? Yeah. Um, are the visuals compelling enough? Uh, when it gets tricky is, again, if I need to put very specific information in here, uh, how, how do I do that um, in a way that, that that's interesting? Yeah. But, yeah, no, it, it's it's a challenge every, every time. But then the next ad is, to me, you know, my next thought, okay, maybe this idea is packed with copy, um, but fun copy, rewarding copy. Yeah. Uh, there's value in that too. Yeah. So, yeah. um, there's, once again, there's no, there's no right answer. There's just better answers and worse answers for this particular, for this particular problem. Yes. You, you've really crafted, uh, um, a great switch in, in keeping the momentum of the great creative out of Dallas, Fort Worth. 
out of the Richards group to in, into Plot Twist, and I really uh, can admire that and can tell you're having a lot of fun. Uh, your top three favorite metal bands are then, Chris? What are those again? <laughs> oh, well, here we are. I, I, wasn't, pre- I wasn't preparing for this one. It's a, it's a rotating... Uh, <laughs> it's it's a, probably a rotating list of five, but I'll, I'll give you the, my favorite uh, five. I'd, I'd have to say, uh, obviously, Metallica. Yeah. Uh, because I just, you know, they were one of the bands that raised me on metal. Uh, Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, I am a huge fan of Testament, mm-hmm. uh, who's a, a thrash band, and Anthrax is a tie with them. And then I would throw in a rotating sort of fifth, uh, Kill Switch Engage, Ghost, and um, you know we can go we can go old school and have some Judas Priest or something. Okay. Uh, but that's 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 kind of my rotation. Okay. List. That's your playlist. So we could probably find that on Spotify somewhere. I bet. Yeah, that's probably. True. <laughs> yeah. Just look for a uh, bald fifty-year-old, and you'll find <laughs> you'll find my. There are no playlist. Peter, Paul, and Mary songs on his playlist on Spotify. I can guarantee. Well, that. not on that one. I was raised on Peter, Paul, and Mary. Oh, you so, were okay. Well, that's good. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. My my, uh, my mother was a big uh, was a big folky, so <laughs> I, uh, I I was raised on. Uh, you know Peter Paul and Mary and the new Christy Minstrels and sure. and all that all that yeah. kind of stuff. So I think uh, which explains why I'm a metalhead because that was how I rebelled. <laughs> I I totally get that. Yeah, you'd have to go there because where else could you go? You, you're not going to go to the zombies or something like that. You got to go metal. It's all good. I like right. that. I, I mean, come on. I was a kid in the '80s. Metal was in the water. I had to. <laughs> and it's rusty now. <laughs> and so yeah, are a lot exactly. Of those guys. Okay. Would you like to participate? There you go. Would you like to participate in our uh, seven questions for the the bonus round here as well? Yeah, no, which, of course. Very good. Yeah, of course. Okay, explain these statements. They come from you. We are artists. We are not artists. We are craftspeople. What does that mean? Well, uh, and I, I have to give credit where that's where it's due. I borrowed that from my dear friend, Bill Cochran, uh, who was with Laramie now, but was at the Richard Group and helped me get there all those years ago. Uh, who I performed comedy with for many years, mm. uh, improv comedy. And oh, wow. he, he, we talked about this at length, that we are hired to do a job. We are like a carpenter or, or a roofer or any other sort of craftsperson. Uh, we are hired to do a job and create something that does, that, that does a job, that suits a purpose. If, we just, if someone hires me to design a chair and I say, I wasn't feeling chair, I built you a table, well... I haven't done the job. I have not answered the assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do is artistic, but we are, if you approach it like craftspeople where someone comes to me for my expertise to create them something beautiful that does a very specific task, that changes how you approach it. Um, and, and to me, it helps. It helps me guide my decision-making creatively uh, to what makes it the best piece of, of, of communication that works not just the most artistic piece of communication. Very so good. That's what I mean by that. Okay, cool. No right answers, just better answers. We talked to you, talk, you mentioned that before. Uh, explain that yes, to sir. me again, please, Lucy. Thank you. Well, well <laughs> please explain. Uh, it, it, to, to me, it, it keeps you humble to think that you have the best answer. Um, to me, you, your job is to show what you think is the, the most good answer the most right answer that will that will entertain the audience, answer the brief, do what the client needs it to do. There's so many criteria. It's really arrogant, I think, to say this is the answer. Um, there, but it is sort of my job and our job to know, to be able to guide them to the most right answer uh, of what is on the table. And if nothing is right, then we try again. Um, so to me, that just keeps you open. Mm-hmm. If you say, well, this is the only right answer, and you're sort of rigid about it, and there's no deviation, um, to me, that's not a creative person. A creative person can, can be flexible, can roll with it, and can have you know, uh, a curveball come in and still hit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, to me, is the essence of what makes you good at this job. That's cool. Don't make ads. Tell stories. We, we know you're a great storyteller. What's that all about? Well, again, it, it, you know, if you sit down to tell a story, uh, I just think what comes out is going to be a little more charming, a little more endearing. 
if you sit down to make an ad, well, no one, no one likes those. <laughs> so <laughs> you're, you know, and, and always just, you know, think of yourself as what do you want to hear? Yeah. You're a consumer, you know, and, and don't ever forget that you're, you're a consumer too. You, do you want to hear an ad or do you want someone to tell you a funny little story that happens to be about a brand? Yes. Well, sure. Totally makes sense. Great creatives have no voice. They speak the client's voice. That removes the ego from the equation, doesn't it? Well, yeah. And, and obviously there are, there are great writers or great creatives where you can sort of see their, you can, you can see their spirit in there and kind of maybe tell. But to me, you know, if you want to have a voice, write a novel. Hmm. You know, if, if you, if be a poet. And, and a lot of us do that. A lot of us, you know, we, we dabble in that on the side as, a, as our own sort of creative way to express our voice. But your job as a creative is you speak as the brand. You speak with the client's voice. So I am less impressed by creatives who write, who can only write in one style. Mm. You know, it's always edgy or it's always combative or, you know, whatever it is, whatever, or snarky or whatever their, their voice is. To me... You know, our team, we have to write for, like, it's, you know, like, say you have to write Motel 6, which is very folksy and down to earth, and then we write for Central Market, which is foodie and sophisticated mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, and, and knows the difference between, you know, Nava Cabbage and Bok Choy or whatever it is. Um, that's not my voice. That's that's Client's the voice, voice of the client and ultimately the voice of the consumer. The consumer is going to uh, react to. So that, to me, you got to be a chameleon. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're just kind of you're just kind of one note. Rules are not culture. Partnerships are everything. I love that one. What's that all about? Well, you know, a lot of companies, you know, they they think that they're they pride themselves on their culture, but what they really have is rules. Um, and rules are not they're not that's not the same thing. Just because you are making everyone behave a certain way does not mean that you have a culture of behaving that way. Uh, so what we've tried here is to make our culture the we're not going to really have rules but we're going to set we're going to set the examples with people we've been working with for decades who work the same way we do and, and believe in it our teams team has been together a very long time uh, and and build the culture that way and, and I always joke and kind of say don't make me have to make a rule <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know hey guys if if, if you know we're doing too much of this or too much, whatever it is. We sure. haven't really had any issues, but I always say, hey, whatever, just don't make us have to make a rule. Okay. Uh, okay. So that's... Okay. So but, far it's working. I, so far it's working. <laughs> Check with so you far. next week. Partnerships. There you go. Yeah, and like I said, partnerships, uh, you know, that when we started this, uh, we had, you know, someone who was helping us start this business suggested we read this book, Dave, uh, my partner, Dave Conkey and I, and, and one of the things was about don't start a business unless you have the right partner. And mm. he and I have learned working together over the past year and a half that we are the right partners for each other. We're That's very right. yin and yang. Yeah. He is good at all the stuff I am terrible at and, and don't want to do. And then I think he thinks I'm good at all the stuff he doesn't want to do or, or you know, uh, and it works, it works great, but it also comes with, uh, we wouldn't exist without our agency, uh, our clients yeah. who, uh, you know, when they had to sever the previous relationship, said, we want to keep working with this team. Uh, what do we do? And they were wide, wide open to however we wanted to make it work. And from the beginning, our whole thing has been, you know, our, our whole mantra with the client has been, we don't want anything to change from your point of view but our email addresses. Mm-hmm. You should still be getting the same kind of, uh, same kind of attention, mm-hmm. you know, the same kind of, uh, of creative output, the same quality as you got when we were with the big agency. And, you know, hopefully it's the same or, or better. So yeah. uh, that's what I meant by that. That's great. Uh, as a grandparent and a parent, been there, done that, pick your battles, but have them. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, I you never want to be... I, there are some creatives who, who sort of pride themselves on fighting for everything. Um, and I think that's great sort of as, as philosophically and, and in theory. But... What it really comes down to is, yes, have strong opinions, and if something is really worth fighting for, definitely fight for it. But you, you, I just, if you fight for everything, then you're just, you know, you're not. Then you're just fighting for just for the sake of fighting. It seems 
Yeah. And you just have to pick your battles. And and again, it's an ego thing. Is this joke really that important or this line? Can I can I not do something that works just as well? Sure. Yeah. Uh, and and maybe they're concerned. Maybe the concern they're bringing to you, you think it's silly. Maybe it's like, you know, they're they're worried about someone misinterpreting it or whatever, and in a way that you don't think is ever going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, fine, but you still got to fix it. And you know, to, yeah. to me, that's. It's, it, yeah. Careful. There's only so many swords you can fall on before you're a porcupine, and no one wants to work with you. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the way I look at it. I like that. I've got one more, and then we're going to go for the $100,000 bonus question. The greatest motivation Great. on earth is panic. I love that. I love that. What does that mean? Yeah, I, ju- I just, I, I borrowed that, because I, ju- I wish I could attribute it, because I just heard it. It might have been someone on Twitter or something, but yeah. I, I wish I could attribute it. But panic, I, I realize that that is absolutely True. correct. I have done mm-hmm. my best creative work in the shortest amount of time when I was facing absolute panic. I had a meeting in two hours. I'd been too busy to work on anything before then. I got up at 5.30 in the morning and sat down at my, you know, at my pad and, and, and I just, I had to have an idea or I was sunk. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I thought maybe that might change with the new agency and, you know, being the quote unquote mm-hmm. boss of, of creative bringing, but it doesn't. I mean, yeah. we're a small agency. We're all still writing ads. We're all still pitching and I'm still, I'm still writing headlines, you know, about asparagus or Turkey or whatever. Sure. So, uh, and, you know, and I, and I, and I need them. I need something for meaning and I don't have it. So, uh, that's panic. And even though I've been doing this almost 30 years, yeah. you still get that kind of, that kind of panic and you just have to learn to use it as a motivator yeah. uh, rather than a paralyzer. Adrenaline, baby. I like that. Mm-hmm. Here's your final question, Works. buddy. 10 years in 10 years, Chris Smith will be fill in the blank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, retired? No, I don't know. I don't uh, think so. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I don't know. Uh, in 10 years, uh, uh, Chris will, will be, oh boy, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, hopefully just still energetic. Yeah. Yeah. I just, in 10 years, I don't have any goals or plans for how big the agency is going to get. You know, we, that's to me, it's, you know, why make those plans? Cause sure. That's, you know, no, I didn't plan for this two years ago. Right. So, right. Yeah, how can, uh, how can you so, forecast success? Really, can you calculate and forecast? I guess you could in a little bit of way, but isn't it more fun if it just kind of happens and things go that way? Seems to me yeah, that's a little absolutely. bit better. Yeah, I, I like. can say I can I can say one word I can put in there is traveling. I would mm. I would very much like to be traveling more than I currently do. Okay, uh, right. I mean I travel a lot for work and stuff, but real serious see the world kind of traveling True. uh i'd like to be i'd like to be doing my wife and i both we'd like to be doing a lot more of that uh, most of our travel right now is desperate mm-hmm. <laughs> either work related or or desperate three days here four days there kind of squeezing it in with kids in college and high school and yeah. all that kind of stuff i would love to do actual like two weeks type traveling which i've never done yeah so yeah which is why that. you need to become a flight attendant. That's what needs to happen next, because then, <laughs> then you can travel for uh, next to nothing. It's a good thing. But uh, Ray, you've solved it. <laughs> there you go. I like that. Why not? That's yeah, fun. It's a great fun. idea. Great idea. And I and I like to serve drinks. So <laughs> yeah. What else could you possibly want? It's a good thing. Chris Smith, yeah. you are such a great person in in our industry and in our oh. in our culture here, and just a lot of fun to talk to. And I, I tell people about you. I say you got to get him to speak at your group because he's really good at what he does. Oh, um, thanks, man. I I really appreciate that. And if you're being wow, this is. This is very, very flattering. I, I needed this today. Thanks, man. Okay, <laughs> good. I'll send you a copy, okay? It'll be a fine thing. You got it. There you go. All Chris, right. Chris Smith, Plot Twist, you are incredible. Thanks for being a part of the show today. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, Ray. I appreciate it. So there you have it. Another Ad Speaks Houston podcast, the Addy Award-winning podcast created and produced by Radio Lounge for the American Advertising Federation Houston chapter. Find out more at aaf-houston.net. A lot of great stuff there. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you'll never miss a new podcast. Your rating on iTunes will also help us grow. And don't be afraid to share what you've heard today on social media. 
also invite you to meet the people that represent District 10 of the American Advertising Federation. Check out Attention, the podcast for District 10. Once again, come join us Wednesday, September 21st at the Ballroom at Tanglewood for Mediocrity Ends Here with Eddie Hurdy and Jared Glick with Outfront Studios. Go to the AAF-Houston website and you can uh, do your registration right there. Until next time, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. That Speaks Houston is copyright 2022. I'm Ray Shillings.